people that knew me, like close friends, I'd be fine and I'd speak with. But anyone else, like even my English teacher in year 11, didn't know the sound of my voice until I did the oral presentation at the end of the year. And then they were like asking my friends, was that his real voice? Was he putting that on? Um, in that case, I was putting on an accent. But <laughs> regardless, it's like the fact that they didn't know my voice after teaching me for a year is was a bit indicative of the kind of range and comfortability I had with speaking, not, not on stages, just speaking in general. So when people say to me, I'm afraid of speaking, I'm like, I, I get it. Welcome to the Rise Podcast. Rise above your fears, rise above your challenges, rise above the unexpected. You have come here today to listen to leaders and everyday people from around the world talk on health, love, life, spirituality, business and the planet. By listening to stories of others transcending their challenges, it expands your knowing to see and hear that you have the capacity to access the same resources and internal energy so you can rise into a state that will serve your abundance, flow and harmony. I am your host, Amy Redans. Together, let's find a new way to get things done. Together, let's find a new way to be. Together, let's rise. On today's show, we are speaking to Miroslav Petrovich. He's a TEDx speaker and founder of Enlivened Speaking Institute, where he has worked with over 5,000 people across the world, teaching them how to deliver messages from stage and other public platforms in a powerful, embodied way. He has written an academic thesis on the role of embodied presence in teaching and learning for creating more engagement within teaching dynamics. He has an incredible journey on the path of speaking to others, and I feel this would empower many that have a fear of public speaking. And so I hope you take away some beautiful messages and tips from him. Enjoy the show. I'm super excited to have here today Miroslav Petrovich, and he is going to be sharing with us some topics around consciousness and speaking from stage. So, welcome. Thank you for having me, Amy. I would love for you to start by sharing with us who you are and what do you do? <laughs> Great question. Um, so I'm Miroslav. I predominantly, te- I predominantly speak and teach speakers how to speak. Um, my approach is looking at the unseen world of communication where a lot of speaking is trained from top down. It's like stand here and do this. Uh, For me, it's more about looking, okay, what parts of you are are unexpressed and how can we bring them into more potency, more to have more impact, more engagement, those kind of things. And it's kind of funny that I'm doing this work because I originally came to Australia as a refugee who couldn't speak a word of English. And I used to stutter and people thought I was mute. I mean, I kind of was mute, but not on a diagnosed level. Um, So my kind of experience up until I started meditating, maybe around 18, 19, was pretty introverted. Like people that knew me, like close friends, I'd be fine and I'd speak with. But anyone else, like even my English teacher in year 11, didn't know the sound of my voice until I did the oral presentation at the end of the year. And then they were like asking my friends, like, was that his real voice? Was he putting that on? Um, In that case, I was putting on an accent. But (laughs) regardless, it's like the fact that they didn't know my voice after teaching me for a year is, is a bit indicative of the kind of range and comfortability I had with speaking, not not on stages, just speaking in general. So 
so yeah, when people say to me, I'm afraid of speaking, I'm like, I, I get it. Like, and I still get it. You know, there's environments where that's still uncomfortable experience. Yeah. Yeah. I resonate like even in my own story, but yeah, incredible that you had just the original fear of even just speaking on a day-to-day basis. So can you share with us, what did that journey look like moving from, you know, saying, okay, I want to speak on stage. Did you go through a dark period or did you go through a challenge that was like, this is what I want to do. This is something I want to break through. Not really. I started meditating and I was like, this feels amazing. And I'm like, it's kind of all I really want to do. Um, and I, I hit this kind of point where I was like, this feels amazing. But for me to, to feel this way, I have to be sitting here cross-legged with my eyes closed. And there was this question in the back of my mind of like, okay, how can I experience this more often with the people around me? Like, how, how can I live more of my life in this way? And what came up quickly was to start teaching. And like when people ask me, how did you get to this? I'm like, it wasn't really a choice. It's not like I went out there and put a plaque and said, okay, I'm now a teacher. Like people just showed up and started asking me to teach the meditation early on. This was like friends from high school. So I was running like a a meditation, weekly meditation session out of my, my parents' home at the time. This would have been when I was like, I don't know, maybe still in uni. So it's kind of like one thing just led to another. And the more I pursued it, I was like, oh, I really need to be on stages. And whether I like it or not, like that is where the path of meditation is taking me. It's like out of this closed eye perspective. And it's like, cool, now you're going to meditate with your eyes open while you're speaking and engaging and making people laugh and, you know, doing all these other things we have to do on the stage. So, so what did that look like? What was happening inside your mind? Because obviously, you know, you would have been fighting with a lot of fears in your mind around getting up and speaking when originally you were afraid to speak one-on-one. So speaking in front of stage, like what, what was happening in your mind and how were you overcoming those fearful thoughts? Yeah, this is, this is interesting. Um, terror is probably a good word for it. It's what I was feeling early on. I remember one of my first gigs, I spent like hours trying to write and recite and perfect this speech and then by the end of it, I just kind of threw the whole thing away. I was like, no, I can't be this way. I can't protect myself from the fear for memorization. Like that's just, it's not, it's not the way. It's like I'm getting up there and performing essentially, whereas my whole message is the power of, of authenticity, the power of being ourselves. So there was a big preparation period and there always is a preparation period. But for me, it's like the moment I step onto the stage the relationship with the audience is everything. So if I'm in fear, I'm looking like, right, how can I breathe into this and create a bit of space? If I've got ideas around people judging me, it's like, how do I know that to be true? It's like, they're just my ideas. How can I actually come into deeper connection as opposed to hanging out where it might be safe inside my own head, but really it's me creating the the disconnection between myself and the audience. And I kind of, I want to follow that, that thread you left, the question you incited. Just recently, I got up on stage to sing, which is terrifying. The way most people feel about speaking, that for me was singing. I'm like, I have, I had no rhythm, no, like, no pitch. My ear wasn't even good. Half the time, I didn't even know I was out of pitch and I was still singing. But I, I have had fun singing. Like I've sung, you know, in groups and stuff. And I have a lot of fun. I remember in one instance, I was singing a, a Kirtan kind of chanting event and my friend looked behind me and she was like, <laughs> I had to look at who the fuck was shouting over the top of me. <laughs> and I was just you know, having a good time. 
so yeah, my voice of singing has always been this thing of like, oh, there's a bit of judgment here because I don't know what I'm doing. And recently I just, I took that um, leap to kind of be like, okay, let's, let's allow this part of me to be seen and judged as well. Let's stop hiding this as something internal. And it was interesting because I went through a lot of the same things that people are experiencing when I'm teaching them to speak, like fear of judgment, watching my throat close up, um, wondering what people are going to think. Are they judging me and my voice? And usually before they even get a chance to judge it, it's like my throat's closing because I'm judging it habitually inside myself. And then watching this period of, it was about a month or two that I was really journeying with this intently and performing a number of times. And I'm not talking about concerts, just like single songs and watching my nervous system open up. And the the best way I can describe this is it's like a web that just began to spread through through the space. And it's like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm okay being judged in this space now. And I'm okay holding myself in this space as well. And it might not be comfortable. My voice is still creaky. I'm still not perfectly in time, but there's a sense of like, I can hold myself. It's a bit like leaning into a hammock and being like, oh, I'm not going to fall back. Like this is edgy, but there is something holding me here that I wasn't aware of before. Mm-hmm. Does that, does that yeah. kind of touch on? Yeah, definitely. So talking to that more, I feel like, and you know, reading some of your social media posts, would you say that you like getting comfortable in the discomfort and and really testing your boundaries do you feel like that is what has kind of led you down this path to where you are in your business yeah very much in life I think I think that experience that some of us call vulnerability I think I kind of owe my life to it and for those that are more let's say spiritually minded I would say that that experience now Vulnerability can mean a lot of things to different people, but that sense of expanding into our edge, like when you look at scriptures from different traditions, like that feeling is very close to the definition of awe or meeting God. And it's like, if I can soften and lean into the feeling, there's the capacity to be overwhelmed by the amount of energy flowing through me because who Miroslav is and who Miroslav knows himself to be, like doesn't exist on the other side of that. It's like now we're in the unknown and we're exploring uncharted territory and there's a sense of grace just being in connection and relationship to that part of life. Mm -hmm. So do you feel there was, was there a moment where you're like, yes, I want to dive into this? Was there a moment in your life where that was kind of an epiphany moment that was like, yes, leaning into this or diving into this more is going to mean freedom or connection on the other side, because there would have Mm. been, there would have been a a point where I guess there was no understanding around that. Right. It was, you had to have discovered that that was the case. Yeah. There was many moments. I wouldn't know which one happened first, but there was many moments in business, outside of business and speaking in personal relating, where it's like, sometimes my arm, my hand would be like shaking with fear, like quite visibly where other people would see it. And internally I'd be like, this is terrifying. I don't know what's on the other side, but I still have to take this action. And I have no control over the way people are going to respond. And just to illustrate the point, like the, the first one that came to mind is I had a good friend where at one point I realized I'm like, oh, there's feelings here towards her. And she was quite intuitive as well. And we went to hang out and the whole day I was like, I have to tell her I love her. I don't know what that means. Uh, up until today, I've never felt this before, but there was just this like terror is the only 
way I can describe it. It's like, I don't know what happens on the other side of this. And I'm not going to go into the whole story, but basically like that day she was avoiding me the whole day. It was just the two of us. And she was walking like a meter in front of me everywhere we went. And then finally, when we sat down to have dinner, I told her I love her. And she was like, okay, let's go home now. And, you know, (laughs) paid the bill and walked off. And like for me getting to the moment to say those words, that was, you know, five or six hours of build up to get there and touching on this sense of, of what you asked. I'm like, I didn't know what was going to be on the other side. And then we went back on the street and started walking towards the car. And now she was, she was like seriously a good meter or two in front of me. Like she was running to get away from me unconsciously, whatever like this incited inside her. And I just went to the sidewalk and I dropped onto my knees in absolute bliss. And a part of me was like, I have no idea what this, what, what's happening in the human part of this story. Like what this means between me and her, but between me and grace and me and life. This is like life giving me a big fucking sign of just, just keep kneeling to me. Like just keep answering the call when it shows up in this way and you don't have to understand what's on the other side. And I, I can see in everything that, you know, you show on social media that you are constantly living in a state of trusting that the messages come through are the right messages for you and to follow them. So, yeah, how has that played out for you and how have you learned to trust them and what, what has been the most rewarding path that you followed along? I'd say the, the most rewarding thing is probably like the depth of connection that it allows to happen. Because for me, like that experience, when I or someone else lean into it, it's like this person is is daring to be themselves even if they don't have a reference point with this part of themselves they're willing to brave new terrain for me and that creates like genuine connection very quickly it's like oh i can see who they are and i was going to say i can either trust them or not but when someone moves from that place it's like we can just see life when it's emerging for, for the first time yeah uh, you know i love the polarity that you've had so far in your life you know having come from a space where you're so afraid to, to speak to people and obviously connection would have been quite non-existent, the form that you've got now where you're just experiencing this other extreme of connection, I feel. So I love this polarity and the range of knowledge that you can impart on people that are wanting to take the journey that you've taken this because you've experienced it all. So can mm. you talk to me? I love one of the messages that you've put out there around vulnerability and around the different types of vulnerability. Can you share with us your definition on the different types of vulnerability there are out there? Yeah, I think in that post, I called them like angelic and demonic, but we don't really need to use those words because people get hung up on words. But for me, there's one thing that's become very clear, like since Brene Brown's talk on vulnerability vulnerability has become like a catchphrase and it's like a badge. It's like this event is vulnerable or I'm vulnerable or whatever. And it's become a bit performative. So I guess one side of vulnerability is performative and it can look like different things. And I don't, I'm like, I'm not the, the judge on vulnerability, but I've known this inside myself and I've seen it inside students. And I'm like, okay, what you're doing there, that's, I know where you're going with that, but it's not actually useful for what you want to create. It's like you're doing vulnerability instead of being vulnerable. And mm-hmm. It might look similar, but it feels extremely different. One feels like acting or or trying to repeat something you've done. The other one just is, you don't have to tell me you're being vulnerable. I can feel it. Everyone Mm -hmm. around us can feel it because we're just drawn to that state. 
So for me, there's, if I take something like, like well, what I called, I don't know if I called it demonic vulnerability, but whatever, it's a sense of we're being vulnerable, but we're really sucking the energy out of the room. It's like, look at me. I'm so good. I want to be noticed. Or it can be genuinely, I'm having a really hard time and don't know how to cope with life. It's a bit like what might show up in a screaming two-year-old. It's like all they know. It's like, yeah, it's vulnerable. It might be vulnerable for them to cry, but they're doing it to get attention in a unconscious way. It's a good way of saying it. And when we're fully grown, we think vulnerability is a good thing. And we've been told of this. So we're trying to hit that and when that goal start to say, you know, that person was so vulnerable or whatever. And this isn't making vulnerability wrong. It's just about tracking where it's moving from inside us. Yeah. The second one in that post, I named it angelic vulnerability. And I was like, this sounds way too new agey and woo-woo. Like I was comfortable with the, the words. But as I started, and part of me was like, no, hang on to this for a bit. And I did some research and I might stuff up the etymology here, but it comes from something like the Greek angelos or something like that, which basically means messenger of God um, and angels being the, the messengers of God. And the Western mind usually makes that out to be like fairy wing, winged creatures that mm -hmm. appear on New Age card decks or something. And this is where, for me, a few of these teachings come together. It's like the fact that the, the state of vulnerability is the messenger. It's like, it's not you personally. That is the message that's moving through you. And can you be on your knees in servitude to what's moving through you. It might be words, it might be a gesture, it might be hugging someone. And it's like from there, we're opening a threshold to allow the divine to come through, whether that's inspiration or a part of you that's never been expressed and wants to be expressed. But it's like in those moments, it's like a threshold opens for something new to happen in life that's never happened before, which is usually why it brings up fear and discomfort. Often we relate to it like revealing a, a personal thing about ourselves that we've never said. And yeah, sure, that's that's one thing. For me, and having taught a lot of speakers, I'm like sometimes asking someone to change a gesture is very vulnerable. Asking someone to let their voice move where it usually doesn't, like it's very vulnerable. There's so many parts of our personality that are mapped that the way vulnerability is extracted is going to be different and unique for each person. And you can't even judge it. Like when we touch it, it just feels alive. And that for me is the interest. It's like, oh, now we're really meeting life. Now what's happening through you or through me or between us is happening in life for the first time ever. We're not just repeating stories. And there's an absolute sense of, in my words, I want to say servitude, but it's like a part of me is bowing to that experience. It's like, there's nothing else to be done here. You know, this, this is life happening before us. So that's usually the kind of vulnerability that, I'm inviting people towards at least people I work with. And I want to put a disclaimer. If this sounds edgy. Don't do it. Just be like, you know, not, not for me. Interesting theory, Miroslav. But I, I want to tie this up with what I was saying before. So this state of kind of crossing that threshold, what's moving through us becomes greater than us. It's not me that's imparting wisdom or you that's imparting wisdom. It's the wisdom is in the imparting itself. The wisdom is in the allowing of some of this stuff to be moved through. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. It's like the transmission is embodied and felt sense, not like verbal intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Totally understand that. So I've noticed that you are putting up a lot of content that is a, a bit edgy as your kind of words. And what is your purpose for that? Are you aiming to polarize? Are you trying to be vulnerable? What, what is your purpose for putting out 
edgy kind of content? It's a good question. I feel there's parts of me that haven't been seen or at least not in a public way, like people close to me might know about them. And I can see the parts of me that are shielding this. And it's like, oh, these parts just want to be expressed. And I'm controlling the expression out of trying to control how people perceive me. So Groomy had this quote, which this was something like, let your reputation burn in the fire. I'm probably misquoting, but that's that's definitely the general idea. And it's a similar thing. Can I step out of my own way? And if this is how life wants to move through me, can I just be okay with that? I, I, I do want to add, my intention is, it used to be, maybe at times it used to be to be vulnerable, but I don't really, really look for ways to be vulnerable right now. It's more just like what wants to be expressed that's not expressed. And c- can I be okay with letting that happen? And more recently with some of the posts I've put up, it's like we have this idea sometimes in conscious or self-development or coaching circles that it's like, you need to work through the thing to be able to do the next thing. So it's like, I can't do this until it's healed or integrated. And I started playing with, well, what if that's not the case? What if I can just do the thing and then hold myself in the turbulence afterwards? It's not always comfortable. Sometimes I might not be able to sleep for a few hours, but at least parts of me are being expressed as opposed to me trying to manage some idea of safety to do what I'm going to do anyway. That just seems like a very elongated path to get to the same place. Yeah. Maybe less tumultuous, but elongated. Yeah. I think that's why I love what you do is because I see you pushing yourself to your edges. It's like, what is possible within my realm, my world, what is possible? And so I love like watching you explore and see that um, for yourself. So it's awesome to watch. So you, you were mentioning before we started recording this, that you're about to um, release a book. What's your book about? So the book was originally called Give Them Goosebumps. Now it's called Enliven Speaking, Guides to Give Them Goosebumps. So we had a last minute change. The book's written. It's basically, it's partially my story and how I got to here. So I go a lot deeper into some of these things I've mentioned and like the ridiculous synchronicities that have led me to doing this. Like when people ask me, why did you choose speaking? I'm like, I, did, I didn't. It was there. And I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to accept that this is here and I'm going to do it. Into looking at the principles that I've been practicing working from stages and teaching and facilitating and translating that into logic logical speak so just to give an idea I was probably speaking teaching facilitating within that spectrum for about 10 years and I was having quite often people would say to me like I just couldn't take my eyes off you or I just saw you from across the room and I couldn't even listen to my friends anymore whatever you're doing is so much more captivating than you know what I'm used to experiencing from a teacher or a speaker So for me, from early on, and even having teachers I looked up to say stuff like that to me, and for me, it was a bit like, it's the air I'm breathing. I'm not aware of it. I practiced, I was in the practice of this for a long time. And then I was like, okay, I have to, not I have to, but now it's time to work out what it is I'm doing. And that crazy thread of aliveness took me back to academia. So I studied education 10 years before that. And now I went back to do education research. And I ended up writing a thesis with some pretty rigorous research both interviewing students and a lot of self-reflective practice to undermine principles underneath my method, which was largely invisible to me. I was just being myself and looking at translating that into ways other people can use and apply this in their own world, regardless of what they're teaching or speaking about. Yeah, that's cool. So in a nutshell, that's what it is. 
Yeah. Yeah. Love it. So what are some takeaways that you can give our listeners in terms of what are your top three tips around having the confidence to speak authentically from stage? Mm. Or yeah, number one would be like listen to okay, number one is probably like you don't have to have it perfect to figure it out. Just get up there and speak. You're not gonna forget English. It might be uncomfortable. And as long as you can breathe, you're going to be okay. And it's okay for you to stop for 10 or 15 seconds and just breathe if you want. For me, now that I've gone into music, that is such a massive luxury. It's like in music, you can't stop. If you stop playing, you're not speaking English anymore. Now you're speaking some like alien language. You know? <laughs> so I'm like, this guy speaking is so much easier than, than music. Um, that's the first thing I'd say. Like there's no way to get it wrong. You just breathe. The, the second thing I'd say is, this is slightly more advanced and you really have to have a, a track record of either having spoken or been on enough stages to be comfortable or have a, a degree of comfort, but it's looking at the loops that you're stuck in and they're usually unconscious. So on a very basic level, when people get up to speak, they might be fidgeting or moving their hips side to side. And there's a loop going on there that's unconscious. The old way that they used to deal with this in speaking is they would say, stop that, stop doing that. Stand there, plant your feet and don't move. Uh, my approach is more like, okay, well, there's something in your hips that wants to be expressed. And it's kind of dying for expression. Like it's dancing to be expressed. And let's look at what that is. And this might not be on like a keynote where you're getting paid thousands of dollars, but it is about let's set up a, a stage, even if it's just like a one-on-one -on -one space, or if you need to you know, sit down with friends and family and just be like, okay, I need to explore. This, this, this isn't going to work with friends and family. Like it's too comfortable and too, it's like the temperature isn't right for cooking it. But mm. I, I suggest finding those loops and, and recognize why is it that a part of me has been doing this unconsciously. And if I was to express this energy in a different way, how does it actually want to show up? So as, as an example for that, because this is a really important point. Earlier today, I was working with a guy that had the hip thing. And as we got him to express more of his authority, and he felt his, his words landing like in the walls of the room, the hip swiveling stopped straight away. I didn't even have to tell him about it. And it's like, oh, this is his authority that's been stuck in his hips and hasn't known how to come out of there until we invited him to communicate in a different way. Now, for some people, like that's going to be hip swiveling. For some people, it'll be standing behind the lectern. For other people, it's going to be sitting. Like on Zoom, I ask people to stand up. They get really vulnerable. It's like, okay, there's something hiding in your seated posture. So it's just about breaking some of these patterns that have become home for us. And the third one is just smile. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Bring joy. Smile. Yeah. Cool. All right. As a bit of a takeaway for our audience, what is some advice that you can give them around rising above their fears? Mm. There's, there's a section in the book I call Metaphia, which I've done a TED talk on. And I kind of want to refer people to either of those places to dive more deeply into this, because this is going to be limited what I can offer in, in this one response. But firstly, like recognize your fears aren't what you think they are and learn to separate between the story and the sensation. So they did studies on Tibetan, I think it was Tibetan monks, and they recognized the way Tibetan monks responded to fear compared to like the average person is that there was just a lot more space between the sensation and the story. So a sensation would show up, whether that's a closed throat, a beating heart, sweaty palms, and then we have a story. People might judge me. 
I'm afraid. I'm never going to be able to get out of this, whatever it is. Those two things, like the link between them is, I almost want to say imaginary. Imaginary isn't the correct word, but it's artificial. It's like whatever the fear is linked in with, like where that story sits, it's like there's a web there and the invitation is just to see if you can kind of clear out the web. It's like, okay, the sensations are real and the fear in my body is real, but let's not even call it fear. Let's just experience the sensations in my body. And can I breathe in and create a little bit more space? And even as I'm speaking about it, it's like there's a tension in my lungs around my heart. And if I was to demonstrate it, it's like, can I just slow down and just gently begin to allow my breath to create some space in there? And I, I feel as I'm doing this, there's, a, there's an opening for me, like, oh, there's, there's parts of my voice that are being compressed because this has been inside me. And the more you can go into this sensation, the more the story dissolves. And the only time I would recommend not doing this, it's like if your life is on the line or something, then get, get out of the way. You know, there's a baseball bat, move, be safe, and then process this. But for most social fears, that link is really imaginary, you know. And I think this is also why public speaking is such a, the world's number one fear. For anyone that's listening to audio, I'm doing rabbit ears. It's a social fear and it's largely unexamined. It's like we don't actually know what we're afraid of and we're never actually slowing down to meet the fear which is where the opening and the revelation happens. Yeah, great, great takeaway. I love it. And thank you for sharing that technique with us. And for anyone that wants to learn how to speak from stage or wants to hear more about your story, where can everyone find you? Yeah, so miroslavp.com is my website. Uh, Enliven Speaking Institute is the name of the speaking institute that I run. The best place, the easiest place to connect is probably just Facebook. Send me a message, add me as a friend, but you can also email us for either of those two websites and just get in touch. Yeah. Awesome. I'll put all of those details in your show notes and we can't wait to hear all about your book launch. Mm, Thank you, Amy. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you. 